0: And this morning, I'd like you to take out your Bibles. Turn with me, if you would, at the very beginning. We're going to go to a number of different scriptures today, so just kind of get your fingers all loose, your thumbs ready, because we're going to move around in scripture quite a bit. Today I want to preach the second message in our year-long series contending for the faith. It's not every Sunday for a whole year. It is one Sunday out of the month throughout the year. Uh, the, and it's uh, the last message that we dealt with, dealt with the inspired Word of God. Because in the end, that is the basis for everything else that we come to and will deal with. If we don't believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God then what I present to you today is pointless. What I say means nothing because it's all based on how we view this book. Is it God's word or isn't it? Do we find in it the truth? Is it the truth? Or do we find in it just a bunch of good moral stories, some things and teachings to help us live? It is infinitely more than just a good set of moral teachings. This word is the truth. It is the inspired word of God. That is, God breathed into man what it is that he wanted to say. And through that individual's personality, whoever authored the various books, that individual's personality comes through, their writing style comes through, and yet it is the word of God to mankind. So we start there and we spring from that and we come to the second message, one true God. If there is any doctrine that is under attack in the church, apart from the Bible being the word of God, it is, in fact, this doctrine. How many of you have ever heard this phrase? Well, you know, everybody finds their own path, or, you know, it's... it's All roads lead to God. All paths lead to God. And yet you will find that if you begin to examine some of the other quote-unquote paths that people are on, you will find a very different God than what has been revealed in Scripture. You will find an angry God. You will find a God who is all about judgment and not about mercy, not about love. Uh, but very much about dominating. God is certainly supreme. He is over all. He is above all. And yet we find from the very beginning the love of God coming out. We're going to see that in a moment. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul states something that is essential, something very important for all of us to remember and to understand, and it is... This, in verse 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 6. The Bible says, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came, and through whom we live. Paul says something so essential. There is but one God. God spoke to Israel uh, through Moses and said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Not several different gods, not many different paths, there is but one God. You say, well, this is headed in a very narrow direction. Yes, in fact, the Bible lets us know, and Jesus says these words. He says, those who are walking on this path are going down a narrow road. Narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there are that find it, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. So we have to recognize today there is but one true God. I can't think for a minute of, of how it's been over the years that you, you begin to realize how many people seek to attack this concept, this idea. And yet, all of a sudden, when you find in their, their anger and their bitterness, they will, with their cursing, somehow bring the name of God into it. Or in hours of, of tribulation and difficulty and problems, all of a sudden everybody's crying out to God. I remember very vividly after 9-11 how churches were packed. All of a sudden, as as we faced a national crisis, as we faced something on American soil that we'd never, ever faced before with the terrorist attack that took place in New York City, you, you look back at what took place and you realize the after effects was everybody rushed to God for a short period of time. And then as they realized that life was going to go on as usual and it would be but a memory in their minds of what took place, all of a sudden the churches began to empty out. Now people didn't really feel they needed God anymore. But I'm here to let you know that God, brothers and sisters, is someone that you and I need to know and and He has made every available opportunity to us for us to know Him. Let's dive into this. And as I mentioned, this is doctrine. This is theology. I don't want to bore you, but I want to encourage you today. But the very first place we've got to start is with his existence. The fact that God exists. Turn with me to Genesis 1-1. Genesis 1-1. And we're going to see something here for a moment. We're going to move past this pretty quickly. But we're going to see something that I believe is important for us to recognize about God. And it is this. The Bible says this. In the beginning, God. Let's just stop there for a minute. In the beginning, God. When you look at that phrase and you look at it for a minute, you have to realize one thing. God is not going to try to present an argument that he exists. He simply is going to assume you're going to believe he exists. God doesn't start out by saying, now, God, God is you know, is here, I'm here, and I'm going to prove to you through this, 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 and this that I exist. I want you to know, and I want you to believe it. No, it just simply says in the beginning, and then it goes on to say God created the heavens and the earth. So we understand this. God assumes his existence is assumed from the very beginning. He doesn't seek to To prove his existence, he doesn't seek to do anything like that. He simply starts out, it starts out that he's there. That's it. Take it for what it's worth. Take it at face value and take it in faith. And that's what he expects us to do. Because we find all the way through scripture that faith is absolutely essential and faith has to start with him and his existence. He proves that very phrase. And you don't need to turn there, but John 1.1, 1, 1, let me read it to you. If you have a pen, just write it down in conjunction with this. Because the Bible says this, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word, that is Christ, was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So we see now two parts of the Trinity present in the very beginning. We'll get to the Trinity in another occasion. But we see now Christ, the Logos, the Word, being present, and they are there at the beginning. Still one God, not two gods or three gods, but one God coexisting, co eternal in three persons. And there at the beginning. So, it's assumed in Scripture that you're going to believe that He exists. Well, how do we know this? How do we know that God exists? How is it that mankind can arrive at this conclusion? And I appreciate theology so much. And as I began to really study for this once again and kind of reread some theology I hadn't written or or read in a number of years. Uh, I began to read, and I, my soul was just fed by it. If you, are, if you avoid theology books because you think it's only for people who've gone to Bible college or are in seminary or are for professors, please don't avoid them. They are powerful, they're wonderful, and they'll enrich your life. But there is this inner sense within the heart of all men that he exists. I want you to think about this for a minute. There is an inner sense within the heart of mankind That God exists. You say, well, do we really believe that? Can we really find it in Scripture? Go to Romans chapter 1. We're going to park there just for a minute. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And the Bible says this in verse 21. For although, reading from the NIV, for although they knew God, I want you to think about this, Paul is talking about unbelieving Gentiles, those who did not have the the word of God revealed to them, they didn't have the law of Moses, they had none of that. These are, as he is referring to this group of people as he goes down through Romans chapter 1, he is referring to unbelieving Gentiles. The Bible says this, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Notice where he starts, they knew God. Not in the sense of having a relationship, but knew that he existed. That there was a God there. That there was someone there that was above them, that was over them, and that ruled over all. There was this sense that there was one who was greater than they. So there was this inner sense. You say, but I, you know, I know people who, you know, they, they don't... They deny God exists. In fact, there are those who deny God or even a knowledge of God. The the atheist says, there is no God. Beyond that, the agnostic will say, well, you know, I can't confirm or deny that there is a God. And so we might look at those individuals and say, but wait a minute, there's no inner sense of that in their heart. But there was at one point. It might have been when they were a child. One of the most noted atheists was by the name of Friedrich Nietzsche. And Nietzsche did his best to stamp out God by even declaring and saying, God is dead. Nietzsche came from a biblical background. He grew up, in fact, in his teen years, as late as in his teen years, he was standing and and preaching to his friends from the Bible. And yet this man somehow suppressed the truth of God in his heart and that inner sense that God existed and he finally arrived at his own crazy conclusion that God is dead. Well, we know that he's not dead. We know that he's very much alive and he lives in our hearts. So God exists. In fact, you you might say, well, so now... You know, why does it seem that the inner sense is gone? Why why does that go away within the heart of mankind? Paul answers this a couple of verses earlier. Look in, in verse 18 of Romans 1. The Bible says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men, now here it is, who suppress the truth in there or by their wickedness, there is a suppression of the truth, and this, this is one of the, the areas of danger of hearing the word of God and not acting on it. One of the great dangers is hearing the truth and then not acting on that truth. But the Bible says that this inner seems as though this inner sense that is within the heart of every man is pushed down because of a pursuit of wickedness because he desires to go after his own thing and do what feels good to him and what, whatever whim he has, that's what I want to do. Listen, friend, when you're going after sin and when you're doing your best, you are suppressing the truth of God by your wickedness and you are even pushing down the idea and the theology that God even exists because you're not living like he exists. This is what they do. They push the truth of God down. They suppress the truth of God in their wickedness. That inner sense that he is there, that that God is there gets pushed down. Now, his existence is also seen through the word and through nature himself. Now, uh, itself. Now we look at the word of God and we find it all through the, the scripture. But I want to bring you to a number of different verses of scripture. We're going to stay right in Romans chapter 1 again for, for just a minute. And then we're going to move to a couple of other verses of scripture to see how nature reveals to us the glory of God how we can look around us and see that there is somebody who is in control, a designer who has taken care of all of these things and put these worlds into existence. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. The Bible says this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. Think about that for a minute. What has been made, being clearly understood, or being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. That mankind is without excuse. You can look around you in nature... And this is is what Paul is presenting. And again, he's talking about people who have never had the word of God revealed to them. They have never had the Bible. They didn't have the law of Moses that was given to Moses. They didn't have any of those things. Paul says you can look at nature and there God's divine power and his divine nature have been revealed through what has been made. This should clue us in that there is a God. And that he exists, obviously, we look at the Word of God, and we're, we, we, you know, we believe what the Bible says about God, and yet you look around you in nature and i don 't know the last time you you kind of looked up in the sky and on, on a nice, clear day and saw the just the, the wonderful hue of blue that 's there, not a cloud in the sky, or you looked out over Lake Michigan and you saw the waves coming ashore, and you saw how how beautiful the lake would looks, and and you, you begin to look at some of those things, those are all there, brothers and sisters, to be a testimony that there is a God in heaven who cares about mankind. Now, what about his nature? We deal a little bit with his existence, but what about his nature? What makes God, God? You know, we, we, we sort of know a little bit about us. We don't know, the, the amazing thing about ourselves, we don't know us as well as we think we do. But God knows himself absolutely perfectly. Wouldn't it be great to know yourself that way? Absolutely perfectly. But we don't even know ourselves that way. God knows you absolutely perfectly. But what makes God, God? The very first thing is this, that God is eternal. God existed and self-existed from eternity past. That blows the mind. You, you begin to start to think. You try to go back. You go back in your mind and think about it before the world's ever existed. He was there. And you go back even further than that. And you go back further than that. And your mind can't handle it. You are finite in your thinking. He is infinite in his. He is infinite in his nature. And he is absolutely eternal. God existed long before anything ever existed. Somebody once said, the very foolish Carl Sagan, said, well, who created God? Nobody. He self-existed. That blows the mind. That's the part of theology that we all just, you know, my head spins. But it's an amazing fact about God. He is absolutely eternal. He was always and He will always be. He was before anything ever was and He will always be. God is absolutely eternal. Turn with me to Psalm 90. Psalm 90 in verse 2. Psalm 90 in verse 2. The Bible says this. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God lives a long time. We have a short lifespan on this earth. I just heard yesterday on the radio, uh, heard on the news that a woman on the south side just turned 110 years old. And they said that she still exercises, she's still active. She... And I thought, 110 years old. That's unbelievable. That's like me living another 70 years. Ah, oh, Lord, I don't know. My wife says, oh, no. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. As long as I'm active, I suppose that's all right, right? As long as I can get around under my own power, that's okay. But 110 years, we think that's forever. That's so long. She's lived... How many presidents is that? That's huge. God always was. And God always will be. It is from everlasting to everlasting. You and I have this little blip. In, on the map, just a little speck of time by comparison to what God has. Listen, brothers and sisters, I would rather trust in an eternal God than a finite man who can somehow think he is big enough and proud enough and smart enough to figure it all out without God. God is eternal. He is incomprehensible. That does not mean that you cannot know God, but you cannot know everything about God. Everything that you need to know, he has revealed to us in his word. Before the law came, before there was anything, God still revealed himself to mankind. Abraham even lived long before the law ever showed up. The law being essentially what we have in the first five books of the Bible. Before any of that was ever written, Abraham was offering sacrifices to God and obeying the voice of God. He knew God. But brothers and sisters, we cannot know everything about him, but everything that God wants you to know to not just mentally ascend to him and mentally agree that he's around and that he exists has been revealed, but it goes beyond that. It is for you to be related to him, to come into a relationship with him. He has revealed himself for you. This is a wonderful mercy of God. You see, when the Bible says, "In the beginning, God," that very phrase shows His great love for mankind. We, he is incomprehensible. He is omnipresent. Turn with me to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. He is omnipresent. What does that mean? Well, it just simply means that God is present everywhere at once wouldn't that be great for those of you who have too much to do (laughs) you know you could be home making dinner at the same time as you're out working earning money you know you could be home taking a nap at the same i i you know i don't know how it works all i know is he is everywhere present at one time the bible says this psalm 139 verses 7 to 10 where can i go From your spirit. Where can I flee? From your presence. If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand hold me fast. David recognized as he was penning this psalm that God, didn't matter where he was, didn't matter what he was doing, God is there. say, well, that's a little scary. Is it? It's only scary if you're not living right. It's an encouragement for those who say, God, in this moment, in this dark hour, in this troubling situation, I need you. And he says, I'm right here. I'm right here to help you. I'm right here to encourage you. Listen, wherever you might go, don't think that you're out from under the cover uh, or out uh, uh, under some kind of cover uh, that God can't see you. That somehow, you know, there's this little little covering that's put over you as you kind of hide in the darkness to do whatever it is that you do. You need to know that God is there. and some People might not be there, but God is there. He's present. He doesn't miss anything. But He also doesn't miss the pain and the struggle in the hours of questioning, not really knowing what's going on, He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. What is that simply? That just means He's all-powerful. He can do anything. Turn with me to Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32 and verse 17. He is all-powerful. And yet in the exercise of that power, He never violates any... Of the perfections of his nature. The exercise of that power will never be shown to abuse any of the perfections of his nature. The Bible says this. Jeremiah 32 and verse 17 says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you from you and me oh absolutely <laughs> there's a whole lot that's too hard for us We have so many questions. We don't know how to deal with things. And many times we feel like we don't have the power to handle things. We don't have the ability to somehow overcome. But I'm here to let you know that there is somebody who is on your side today. Somebody who says, I have all power and I can help you. And I can give you what you need to be able to make it through. He will always come to your aid with his almighty power. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is omniscient. What does that mean? It means that God knows everything. He knows everything. God is absolutely infinite in His knowledge. He knows Himself and all things perfectly from eternity. Think about that for a minute. Everything that ever was, everything that ever is and will be, He knows it already. He's got knowledge of it. He understands what will take place. He knows everything about everything. Including himself and including you. He knows the very depths of your heart. He knows what's going on in the inside of you. Isaiah 46 and verse 10. Isaiah 46 and verse 10. Just turn with me there if you would. Isaiah 46 and verse 10. The Bible says this. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. I love the last part of that. First part of that lends itself to knowing that God knows everything. The last part of that says His purpose is going to stand, that He will rule over all, and that He will do all that He pleases, and He will be the winner in the end. There is one final thing that makes God God, absolutely God, that is apart from or other than us, and it is this, that He is unchangeable. You ever think about why in this life we change or try to change? Why is it? It is because we are not perfect. We have to change. Change is absolutely going to happen. We change because we have to. Now there are times where people change for the worse. That's not good. God will never Change for the worse because he cannot do worse. He cannot do bad. He cannot do evil. He will not change to somehow do do things that are evil and that are wrong or that are worse than. But God neither changes for the better because you cannot improve perfection. He is absolutely perfect. So he does not need to change, he will not change, and for you and me, you and I look at ourselves and we say, I got to change, there has to be some kind of change, and maybe over the last year or two years or whatever, you've changed for the worse, maybe things have gotten bad, things have have not gone the way that they were supposed to, and you say to yourself, I got to change, why? Because we are not perfect. But I'm here to let you know that there is one who will never change. God says, I am the Lord. I do not change. He always remains the same. He is always even keeled. He will never, ever change on you. He doesn't ever, ever change anything about himself so that you cannot then depend on him. You can always depend on him because he doesn't change. He doesn't have to. He doesn't need to. He will not. You and I, hopefully we can change for the better the more we get to know him. The more we get to know Jesus, the more we get his life down in us, the more we yield to him, we can change for the better and be more like Christ. That is, Paul says, these words, until Christ is formed in us. That's what needs to happen to fallen humanity. But to God, he is perfect. So he is unchangeable. There are just three things that I want to point out. There are more about his his nature that can come to you. All of the things that I presented to you are things that that only God possesses. These are only things that God possesses. He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is unchangeable. But I want to give you just three things that you can have. It's what in theology they call the communicable attributes. It's a communicable, please help me with that. What's a communicable disease? It is a disease that can be passed on. Something that is incommunicable is something that can't be passed on. We just dealt with things that can't be passed on, but these things can be passed on to you. And it is first this, that he is holy. And he says these words, be holy as I am holy. So he's saying, I'm holy, but you can be too. I am giving you the power, the ability, if you will trust in me, if you will hope in me, I'm giving you that power and ability to be holy as you yield yourself to Christ. Not only that, he is love. And his love can come into our hearts. His love can be shed abroad, as, as Paul says and states, can be shed abroad in our hearts. His love can be transmitted to you and to me so that then it becomes an extension of our Christian walk. His love isn't just for you and me to feel good about ourselves. Say, oh, God loves me. Thank God. No, it's for you to hand out. God's given you handouts to give out to people. He's given you his love. He wants you to pass that on to others. The love of God is not something to be just held within our own lives and in our own hearts and within our own church services. No, the love of God is something to be passed on to you so that then you can pass on to others. There is his mercy, his mercy. The Bible says his mercy endures forever, and yet His mercy has come to your life when you realize, I am a sinner, I need a Savior, and I'm coming to Christ, and because of His great mercy, He allows you to do that. You can come into the very presence of God because of His great grace and His great mercy. Those are just three. We could talk about His faithfulness. We could talk about His truth. We could talk about all of those things, that God is those things. And those are all things that can come to our lives and help us to live the way God wants us to. But I want to end with this. His actions or His acts. His actions. From the very beginning of the Bible and all throughout Scripture, we see that God is an active God. We read the verse earlier, and I'm going to read it again, but in the beginning, God created. His activity started there, at least that we could see, that we could understand. God created. And we have to believe that He is the Creator God. In fact, it all begins there. Our faith has to go back to creation. If, as a Christian, you profess to be a Christian and yet somehow you're swallowing the lie of evolution, then I'm here to let you know you are missing an important part of faith. Because if we don't believe in creation, then here's what's going to happen we are essentially saying, God, you're a liar. And liars can't be trusted. So either we believe in the word of God and we believe what God has to say, or we are abandoning the faith. Brothers and sisters, this is what this whole series is about, contending for the faith, to uphold it. And to when we have to engage, not in a physical warfare, not in a fight with others, but we have to uphold the banner of truth of the Word of God high so that the world can understand that God has declared that He is the creator of all. In the beginning, God created. We absolutely have to believe our faith, our Christian faith, you might not think it, and I think, well, my Christian faith is based on, you know, faith in what Jesus did on the cross. Yes, it is. But how do we arrive at that conclusion? We start at the beginning. The beginning says, in the, God, in the beginning, God created. Our faith has to start there. It's an amazing thing how scientists will stand and so authoritatively state what is still theory even to them. And yet they state it with such confidence and authority Evolution, folks. But then you've got the other scientific crowd standing there saying, no, not evolution, Big Bang. (laughs) I have yet to see an explosion that created absolute order. Haven't you? Explosions don't create order. They don't create laws that then are able to sustain. Scientific laws, laws of physics, all of those things. God is the creator, folks. We need to go to God. You say, but scientists, I'm sorry, scientists are finite. Did we, were we not here just a moment ago when we understood that the Bible says he was from everlasting to everlasting. He knows everything that there is to know. God is the one who knows all of that. Now, he is not only the creator, but he is the sustainer. Hebrews chapter 1. Go to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. The Bible says this. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. The Son that is Christ is the radiance of God's glory And the exact representation of his being. Here it is. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. What was it in the beginning that created? It was his word. He spoke and it was. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God said, let the water separate from the sky. And it, it was so. Then let the water separate from the land. And it was so. It was his word. But it is his powerful word that is sustaining all things. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. By the word of God, all things are being sustained in this moment. I realized yesterday there was uh, a terrible earthquake in Chile and and it was just it, it's devastating to see what has taken place that nation has has actually been on the rise one of the great democratic nations in the southern hemisphere in south america it has has come to not great economic power, but but on the rise financially. I just read a brief article about it, and, and in that country, they've seen poverty go down. They've seen a lot of great things and great advances take place to be shaken so by this terrible, terrible earthquake and all of those things. You say, but wait a minute, he's sustaining all things. Yes, because it is because of the Lord's mercy that we're not consumed. It is bad as bad as the terrible earthquake was in Haiti, and as bad as it was in Chile, and there were, was another earthquake as well, two other ones, one in Argentina, one in, in Japan as well. That so much is going on in the world, and, and the, the Bible says the whole earth groans. We, we see that, and yet in all of that, God... He is still st- sustaining everything. He is still upholding all things by the word of His power. He sustains it all. We can trust that He is the sustainer, but the last thing that I want you to see is that He is the Savior. As part of His actions, part of His acts, He's the creator, He's the sustainer. But where would any of us be without Him being the Savior? Where would any of us be today? I can't even begin to think or imagine where I would be without the Lord. And there was a certain part of my life at a time, a time in my life where I tried to do it without God. And, and if we're not careful, folks, on a daily basis, we can take our eyes off the Lord and try to do it without Him. And when we do it without Him, we'll we're find we're, we're, we're just... It, life is not fair. It's, it's troublesome. It's a, it's a pain and... and we, we try to make it through the day. We get to the end of the day. we got more questions than answers. I don't understand why this. I don't understand why that. And you know what? Most of the time it is because we are not doing it for him and with him. You see, he is the savior of all mankind. I want you to turn and get ready. Turn with me over to Titus chapter 3. And that's where we're going to end up. But I want to read to you in Psalm 25 and verse 5. As you're moving over to the book of Titus in the New Testament. Psalm 25 and verse 5 says these words. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior. And my hope is in you all day long. You are God, my Savior. You see, man needs rescue. This whole thing is about the fact that God wants to reveal himself to mankind. This this entire study, this only scratches the surface of the study of theology, the study of God. It only begins to, to scratch the surface today. But I'm here to let you know his revelation of the fact that he is all powerful should let us know that when the Bible testifies that he is powerful to save, that in fact he is able to rescue you out of whatever pit you have found yourself in. He is big enough and powerful enough to pull you out of that mess that controls you. He is able. He is the Savior. The Bible says this in Titus chapter 3, starting at verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived. And enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice, envy, being hated, and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. The Bible lets us know that He is God, our Savior. It was the kindness and love of God that appeared to say, I have a plan for your life. I don't want you to live in sin anymore because sin enslaves. Sin causes you to be disobedient. And all. not only that, it will exempt you from eternal life. But I need you to know today that you can have eternal life. You can have abundant life. Why? Because God has revealed Himself in His Word as your Savior. say, well, that's great, Pastor, but I'm serving the Lord. He is my Savior. You see, the wonderful thing about this is salvation is not just a one-time experience. The Bible lets us know that we are being saved. There is on a daily basis there are crossroads that you will have to choose from. You will have to choose whether to do your own thing or whether to do what God wants you to do. You will have to choose whether or not you're going to serve man or you're going to serve God. Who's it going to be? I don't know about you. I'm going to opt for the man who has lived a whole long lot longer than I have and will live longer than I will ever live. I want to live for the one who says I am that I am. I never, I didn't have a beginning. I just was. And that's the one who has revealed that he is our Savior. He's not just some mystical force of energy, he's not some, you know, weird kind of Eastern mysticism energy that's out there that you get to sort of. Get in touch with as you empty your mind. Be careful about anything that instructs you to empty your mind because the Bible says that we are to fill our minds. We're to fill it with the Word of God. We're to meditate on Him day and night. Not empty your mind, but meditate on Him day and night. And when we trust in Him with all of our hearts and we say, Lord, I thank you that you've revealed that you're all powerful, you're You are the creator, that you know everything, that you're always there. But Lord, today I thank you most of all that you revealed yourself as Savior. You know, I once heard Dr. E.V. Hill, who has gone on to be with the Lord, and he preached a sermon that only, only Dr. Hill could preach. But he preached when was God at his best. And he went through, he swept through Scripture, starting with creation, Asking, was God at his best when he spoke the worlds into existence? And, and, every, and you, if any of you ever heard him preach, you know you know, he had us on the edge of our seats. And, and we'd get to the end of the creation scene, and he'd say, was that when God was at his best? And almost everybody was saying yes and amen as, as best they could there. And saying yes and amen, I'm sorry, and yes and amen, and, and, and we were on the edge of our seats. And he said, no, that's not when God was at his best. But then he got to the part where he talked about how it was that he, came to Christ and how Jesus saved him from sin. And he says that is when God was at his best. All of the things we see in Scripture are so wonderful and powerful. And yet, brothers and sisters, the fact that God is your Savior lets me know that God is the one true God, The fact that he has delivered you from sin and brought you out of a mess of sin and out and set your feet on a solid rock to stay, as the psalmist says, I'm here to let you know, brothers and sisters, that is when God was at his best. God was able to do that for you and for me, and he is certainly able to do it for others as well. Yes, we can start in creation. We've got to believe that he was the creator, but in the end, if we don't believe he was the Savior that we have missed the whole point of the revelation from the very beginning we've missed it if he didn't love you today there would be no Bible there would be no revelation of his nature of his character there would be no revelation of his activity but he has revealed himself to us because he desires to have a relationship with us on an ongoing basis. See, the the relationship doesn't end when you give your heart to Jesus. That's the beginning. You know, that's when it starts. And I'm here to let you know that that revelation that He has given to us is so that you and I can have an intimate closeness with Him. He doesn't want you to leave this building today without having that. Like every head bowed, every eye closed.